0: Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and this episode is brought to you by my sponsor, Certified Piedmontese. I have a great offer for you, so stick around later in the episode. I want to get that to you. But first, my guest today is a man who has had a very heavy influence on Omaha's Mexican restaurant scene over the last few years, and he now owns not one, not two, but three of the hottest taco joints in town. After he took over Maria's from his grandmother, he has since opened Moolah in the Blackstone District and Taco Company in Benson. My guest today is Michael Sanchez. Michael, welcome to
1: the show. What an intro. Thank you. Appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, of course. The pleasure is all mine. But before we talk about you, and there is a lot about you that I want to talk about, and I think you have a fascinating background and, and entrance into the restaurant industry But I don't think we can start this conversation any other way except through the puffy taco (laughs) because that is the food item that kind of helped set Maria's apart uh, originally. It's integral to the DNA of Taco Company. And really, once someone has like one of these puffy tacos, it's kind of it's hard to forget it because it's such an experience For listeners who may not have experienced the gloriousness of the puffy taco, can you describe what they are and kind of what sets them apart and makes them different from the standard taco offering?
1: Well, what we do, I'll talk about the process and maybe that'll explain what it is. Do it. What we do is we start, pardon me, with a traditional um, flour based taco dough or tortilla dough, right? So we make a big ball of of flour tortilla dough uh, and then we press those out. And then we we hand roll them, stuff them, and fry them. And throughout that process, what you end up with is kind of a crunchy, chewy, hot pocket of whatever's inside of it. And um, yeah, it's probably, you'll hear people say it's non-traditional. But man, I would like to have a conversation just about tradition and authenticity in general, right? Because that's... uh, Boy, it's a tough thing to say what's tradition when it's something that's traditional to your family, when it's something that's traditional to your experiences growing up in Omaha or Texas, which is also has a... Um a lot of variations of puffy tacos, so you know it's traditional to them. It's traditional to me. It's authentic to us and our family. So, authenticity and tradition are are um, more about personal experience, oftentimes, than just making a judgment on what you know, labeling something with some broad category of traditional or non traditional. So,
0: right, and that's something I actually kind of wanted to hit on a little bit in this episode, and I was going to talk about it later, but let's just talk about it now. Yeah. Like, I feel like the word authentic just gets thrown around I so know. much in food, and I don't. I don't necessarily understand. Like I do think that there's definitely value in saying like, you know, this is a dish that they actually prepare and eat in India versus, Mm. you know, chicken tikka masala. Like I think there's value in recognizing that. But I also think sometimes we get a little too much into just like, is this traditional? Is this how they did it in Mexico in the 1800s or whatever? And sometimes we can just, it's just like you said, like, Tradition doesn't have to be what it started as. It can be tradition is, this is how my family did it. This, this is where I grew up. This is where we ate it. Like, why, why do you think we always want to throw the traditional stamp on food?
1: I don't know. I think a lot of times people don't even understand what they're talking about. No. you know, um, I agree with that 100%. And that's an easy way for them to make a judgment on something by labeling it this thing. But let's be real. Mexico is a big country with a lot of different facets and um, a lot of different very uh, traditions or things that are authentic to very small communities within this massive country, no different than America, right? We have a lot of different pockets and neighborhoods and what might be uh, authentic to a really cool place in Wisconsin we might go there and be like, this isn't how you make a whatever, grilled cheese or PB&J, you know, but it's not authentic, but isn't it authentic to what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Most people that make that sort of judgment probably aren't really familiar with all the different areas and regions of Mexico and how they do things and the traditions. They, but they think because they ate at some Mexican place growing up across town and that's what they're used to, that if it doesn't fit within those, you know, characteristics, um, then it's not traditional. But mm-hmm. it, I think it's just a limited way of looking at things. And the real question is, do you like it? If you like it, who... I mean, does it really matter where it came from, how it came from? If it's if it's good to you and you enjoy it and you appreciate the craftsmanship or whatever the thought that went into it, whatever, it, traditional, non-traditional, I don't think it matters.
0: I agree so much. Like, to, to bring another food group into it, like, if you talk about barbecue, you talk to somebody in North Carolina, traditional barbecue is pork. You talk to somebody in Texas, traditional barbecue is beef and brisket. You talk to somebody in Kansas City, They'll probably tell you it's burn ends. We love burn ends. So it's so much of what you said is true. Like there there are different traditions in different parts of the world. So just labeling something as traditional, non-traditional, I agree with you. It's never made sense. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was
1: going to say barbecue is a, I wish I would have thought of that example. Cause that's a fantastic example of, of what we're trying to describe here. Mm-hmm.
0: But let's get back to tacos because yeah. we're talking about tacos. <laughs> the thing that amazes me about the puffy taco, and you use some great descriptors, like the shell is crunchy, but it does have a good chew. It's a little bit flaky. The thing that is amazing to me is it's not very greasy at all. Mm. Like whenever I hear the term deep fried, when something is fried, you just you think grease. You think it's a little heavy. It's a little indulgent. You think delicious, mm-hmm. but you think of something that is going to – it's, it's not healthy and mm-hmm. I, I don't know, necess- I don't know the <laughs> calories on these yeah, tacos. They're yeah, probably yeah. not the healthiest thing in the world, <laughs> but when I eat them, I don't feel like weighed down and I don't have to use a napkin to like wipe off my no. fingers every time I pick up the taco. No, that's kind of what amazes me about the process to me. Why is that?
1: You know, I don't want to give away too many trade secrets to be okay. honest, but okay. let's just say that that's a very intentional part of it because we're aware of the stigma that fried food has behind it. Right. Um, so we have to make every effort to make sure that it's the most appealing version of a fried, a fried taco possible. And, and the same can't be said true about all the other variations that you've seen.
0: Okay. Well, yes, we definitely don't want to give away, give away any <laughs> secrets, but I just want to assure listeners, especially those who are like pretty health conscious, these, yeah. these tacos are not going to destroy you or anything. They're delicious without being greasy and just gross. I think the best way to discuss your restaurants and your growth as a restaurateur is to go back before you even. Mm -hmm. I think we need to start with your grandma, Maria. Mm -hmm. What can you tell me about Maria and just what made her such a special person?
1: Maria is an amazing woman. You know, she had very little formal schooling um, and everything she's done is completely self-taught. She's a self-made woman all through just really great common sense and obviously a tremendous work ethic. She's got the most integrity And natural intelligence of any person I've ever met. And I I really feel like she could have done way more with her life, but she really was passionate about the one thing. Um, So when she was young, she married my grandfather when they were really young. And my grandfather was in the Air Force, and they moved around the world and everywhere they would move, whether it was Puerto Rico or the Philippines, so on and so forth, she would she would set up a small taco business with the intention that once he was done with the air force wherever they ended up settling down they would turn that into an actual business and that's what they did so that was 1976 they started maria's uh the building that we're in right now actually they bought uh in 1980 or 79 or 80 um and then I took it over about, I think, between 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, going around my storyline, she's not the only influence. So that's my, my dad's parents.
0: Yeah, you've got restaurants on your mom's side, that's too. That's the
1: thing is, so my mom's parents had a fantastic restaurant, too, called Cafe Ducopia, which was a little before probably both of our times. I mean, it started in 1983, but at that time was one of the, the nicer, if, you know, arguably one of the nicest restaurants in the city. It was French Fine Dining um, in, in Regency, and they ran that from 1983 to 2001. So when I grew up, you know, I don't know how many people have this experience, but both sides of my family were restaurateurs, And and I'm sure as you're aware, when parents own restaurants, all the kids are involved, which means my, my parents were both involved, aunts and uncles, cousins. So that's, that's the life that I knew. That's, it wasn't, um, absurd to me at the time that I was just in this restaurant lineage, but now looking back, it seems very unique.
0: Well, I even, I found a quote from you uh, in another story that said, your crib was in the back of the mm-hmm. office of the restaurant. What, <laughs> what was it like growing up in that environment? I mean, were you basically like, did you grow up in the kitchen essentially?
1: L- literally um, in the entire building. So that Maria's building, I spent my entire life until I moved away to go to college in that building, um, very literally. So, you know, my car seat, my crib was back there, my very first school desk. So I'd come home from school. I would go, I wouldn't come home. That was my home. I would do my homework there. Uh, a lot of days I would be in the kitchen. I would be everywhere in that building, you know. Um, my I remember my first Nintendo being in that back office, you know, playing the original Nintendo back there and bringing friends over after school. And then I got older, old enough to kind of legally work in, <laughs> in the front of house. So I was bussing tables every day and man, I mean, I've, I've done every job there is to do in that particular business. And, um, you know, uh, I look, quite literally grew up in the restaurant. So
0: mm-hmm. now, did you feel a pull to that type of work or was it more just like, this is what our family does. This is where I am all the time. So this is what I'm going to do. Or were you like passionate about it?
1: I don't really think I I gave it much thought, man. It just kind of was what we did, you know. Uh, I suppose if if you grew up on a farm and you milked cows, it's just kind of what you did. Yeah, I don't know how much I questioned it, but uh, I know one thing for sure: when I graduated high school and I left, I knew two things for sure: I did not want to work in a restaurant again, <laughs> and I I didn't think I was going to come back to Omaha either, right? And both of those things proved not to be true, but. Um, And not because I didn't like the restaurant business. I just felt like there was more to the world. You know, there's so many things you can do with your life. And I'm like, if I don't at least go explore other options, I'm always going to, I'm always going to question whether or not I was meant for this. And I, rather than just defaulting to what was kind of what I was born with, you know,
0: what did you go explore?
1: So I lived in San Diego for eight years. I got a degree in finance and then I worked in finance, uh, up until about 2008 when the, when finance was, wasn't the career to, to be in anymore. But, um, I got out right before then, thankfully with, uh, with uh, still my shirt on my back. And it was right about that time that my grandma Maria was considering retiring. And and I just um, started a family. I had two young boys and it just kind of made, everything fell together for me to come back and buy that business and expand it. And uh, I also felt a huge obligation to my family. You know, it, it was one of those things where it was such a, a source of pride for me and, and all my extended family, the business of Maria's. Um, and it, without me coming back and doing what I did, it kind of felt like it was the end of an era, and I didn't want that to be the case and I felt like uh, like I said, a sense of responsibility to take that and and keep it going for another fifty sixty years if i could so. mm-hmm.
0: now you said originally you you moved away because you wanted to explore what else the world had for you so mm-hmm. when this this opportunity to own Maria's and kind of carry on that tradition when that's first presented to you, I'm mm-hmm. assuming by Maria herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm was that immediately just like, could you just like feel it inside you that just like, yes, I want to do this? Or did it take some time to be like, ah eh, I, I really wanted to do something else. But then over time you kind of, you're like, yeah, this is the right thing to do.
1: You know, at, at, again, at the time it, it was a tough decision. I'll be honest with you. It, it was a tough decision because I was doing very well for myself in San Diego. Uh, I wasn't directly impacted by the crisis, but it was, it did play a part in the financial crisis of 2008. But I had two young children. Um, I was thinking about their future again, and I and I I felt like I had a, I had a debt to pay to my grandparents in terms of what they provided me, and and again all my extended family. Um, so it it wasn't like oh yes this is the opportunity I've been waiting for, and it wasn't. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, I thought about it for a long time. All the pieces came together, and the thing is, is when I was away for eight years my grandmother and I are so close. We talked every week. So it wasn't like I didn't talk to her for eight years and she gives me this call and all of a sudden I have a decision to make. This has been something I, I can tell through our conversation. I came home a lot over the course of those eight years. I was very in tune with, with, with the business. I was still helping actually remotely from San Diego. I was still, you know, writing menus and updating pricing and, you know, negotiating with some suppliers. I was helping her with some of the business related stuff, even though I was away. So it wasn't like I was detached and I just got a surprise call and I got to, you know, make make a decision. So I, I kind of saw it coming. So I had some time to consider it and it was a difficult decision and without giving away too much personal detail, you know, it wasn't, like a financial slam dunk at the time either. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to come back to this great. I was, I was losing a lot in, in order for a long-term play. And it was up to me to really make that business grow. I had to expand it and remodel it and give it some fresh life in order for me to actually financially for it to make sense for me. So it wasn't, it wasn't a slam dunk. It was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta kill what I eat here. If I, if I come back and do this, I got to go all in and actually be able to provide for my family. So
0: what was that feeling? like for you emotionally because clearly this is this restaurant is something that is very important to your family Mm -hmm. you know it's it's been decades in the making like you mentioned your grandma opening these taco stands and then this being the Mm -hmm. restaurant that came out of that like this was a really big deal for Mm -hmm. you to take this thing over I mean I'm sure that there's there's a feeling of excitement but there also had to be some nerves just like I can't screw this thing up
1: too right Big time, man. Big, and nobody wants to be the person that destroys their family business, right? And that wasn't uh, that was an option. I mean, I could have completely ran it into the ground, but I, I was confident. I knew what I was doing, and um, I knew if I worked hard enough at it, I was all in. It. Like I said, I, that was all I did. Um, and so, but yeah, the pressure was on and all eyes were on me. There was no, I couldn't point the finger at anybody else at that point. If it didn't work, then I basically ruined <laughs> something that my grandparents started along. You know, I took their dreams and ran it into the ground. That was not an option. That, that would not happen. I, I would make sure that.
0: Well, fortunately, that <laughs> very much did not become a reality. Thank and God. You mentioned coming back and taking steps to kind of enliven the restaurant. I mm-hmm. think, you know, uh, kind of bring it into modern times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, what exactly did you do to kind of upgrade? update Maria's.
1: So that's like an interesting case study to talk about because when you have something that is so uh, deep rooted in tradition, you have generations now, three, four generations of people that have grown up in that business. The challenge is how do you change it, update it, freshen it up without alienating the people that have got you to the dance, right? Without taking what people enjoy and appreciate about the business for generations and then stripping that out of it. Right. So boy, that, I mean, that was like sleepless nights thinking about the changes to make and not to make. And so at the end of the day, what we did was, uh, what I decided to do was, uh, address the capacity issue because you, Maria's is like, you know, every pocket neighborhood has their place where they go, say after the soccer game or the basketball, whether it's big Fred's or Sortino's or whatever. Maria's was kind of that place to Ralston after the soccer game there, or the baseball games, that's where you went. But the problem that we had at that time was we didn't have the party rooms. We didn't have the bigger space. So number one, first and foremost, we had to address that because I felt like that was a big part of our identity. And again, from a financial standpoint, you need seats to, you got it. If you need to increase sales, one of the things is you got to increase the seats. So we did that. Um, and then, you know, it was an all-cash business at the time. The world was changing. We, we got away from that. Um, of course, embracing technology a little more in terms of social but, – but without overhauling the menu. You know, we, I, I rewrote the menu in terms of the design of it, but I didn't take anything away, and I didn't really – I enhanced some things to make them better. I took some products that – I felt like were not of the quality standard, you know, certain commodity products. And I upgraded the standards of those things. And, um, so uh, they were enhancements, but they weren't like overhauls of things where, you know, you might notice a small change if you're a 34 year customer, but in, in, in a favorable way, right. In terms of quality enhancement and those sorts of things, but certainly not taking anything away. I mean, they would have burned that place down if, <laughs> if I would have changed anything about the recipes or, you know, I, I would have, they would have had my head on a steak. So these, these
0: changes that you implemented, did they could you start to see the success very quickly? Or did it take some time for like like you mentioned, like this is a place where you don't want to upset the Apple cart too much. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you're respecting what made it special while still updating it. Mm-hmm. Did it take some time for these changes to get Maria's where you wanted it to be, or was it just like turnkey.
1: It was immediate. And, but it didn't, it it came with a lot of, I mean, I had to be present there 24 seven because there were customers that had a lot of questions about who this new guy is and what's going on and why this and why that. And I had to be the one that kind of gave them the warm and fuzzies about what we're doing and explain to them why we're making the changes that we're making. But, um, you know, uh, boy that business changed almost overnight as soon as we were done with all the changes it was it was an immediate impact in a positive way and i think for the for the most part 99% of our customers appreciated the things we did but of course you're going to have those 1% that just are adverse to any change it doesn't matter if it's <laughs> a good change or bad change you know whatever that means but it's they're just change averse so
0: so we kind of talked earlier about how there are so many different styles of Mexican food. There's not just, you know, the, the one traditional way to do it. Mm-hmm. How would you describe Maria's food and menu to someone who hasn't been there?
1: I call it family-style Mexican food. Um, and, you know, if you look at, I think some people would describe it as Tex-Mex because that's, that's kind of the buzzword that you use. But the, the, Maria's menu is really kind of a, it, it's a family-style menu. It's home style Mexican food that has a lot of Midwestern influences to it. So you look at the Mexican landscape of food in this city, and you have some of the places that are like Maria's that have been around since the '70s and '80s, and it's a a very similar style of food, even the '90s, even where it's large platters. Right, you get two enchiladas, rice, beans. Um, I call you know it's it's platter. Platter food, um, but again, it's heavy sauces, heavy cheeses. Uh, not heavy in the sense that you're not going to enjoy, it, but just it's it's a lot of food, right? And typically, you have some to take home.
0: You're not leaving hungry.
1: Yeah, no. Um, which is way different than say what the people from Mexico and, that are coming here and making their own restaurants. It's that's a lot, kind of a different style where everything there is mostly a la carte, right? You have you can get one taco, one sandwich, one this, one that, one burrito. Um, But for some reason, um, I guess in the 70s, 80s, 90s, everybody liked combination platters. So they added rice and beans to everything. And if that started in Texas, then, uh, you know, we'll call it Tex-Mex.
0: Now, you've since opened two Mexican restaurants, and we're going to get into each one of those individually. But just looking at your first kind of foray into professionally Mm -hmm. being a part of the restaurant industry, Mm -hmm. what about that experience with Maria's emboldened you to say, I want to start my own venture. I want to start my own restaurants.
1: Everything. I mean, I I was very comfortable with the restaurant business. I think for somebody from the outside looking in, it could be extremely scary. There's a lot of moving parts. You're very dependent on people and equipment and a supply chain. Uh, none of that scary. I was extremely comfortable with the business and how it ran. Um so you know I was prepared my whole life for starting my own business the thing is is what was I going to do and how was I going to do it and when was I going to do it um those were the questions and so um if you're asking specifically about mula
0: we'll start with mula yeah, yeah.
1: um mula is is honestly like <laughs> things coming together at a at a really great time so for me personally I kind of did an evaluation. I mean, I knew the Mexican restaurant landscape in Omaha, but I, I really did like a formal evaluation and like created a spreadsheet and kind of put my notes of all the places. And again, kind of broke it down into, if I were to make a general categorization of, of what Omaha looked like, you know, nine years ago when I started the concept, you know, almost 10 years ago when I started conceptualizing Mool-Aid, Um it was like Maria's type places that were staples of Omaha, And then there was what the immigrants were making in South Omaha. If I were to just generalize, right, there's a lot of things in between. But if I were to make generalizations, it's kind of that family style Tex-Mex over here and South Omaha over here. And then my personal experiences in life, because I lived in San Diego, I traveled a lot, uh, went to a lot of just various cities all over the world. I always, for some reason, was drawn to the cool, hip Taqueria uh, Mexican style places when I would go to big cities and it always, there was just something about the energy, the vibe, the food that I really liked. And when I moved back, I felt like we didn't have that at the time. So the idea was one, uh, I wanted to create a place that I actually wanted to go to because we didn't have it. So I'm like, well, if somebody's going to do that in Omaha, it, I'm the, I'm the guy might to as do well be me. might as yeah. well be me. Right. Um, and then the other thing is I felt like I wanted to bridge the gap between what was going on in South Omaha and we'll call it everywhere else in the city. Meaning um, sometimes there were some some barriers that would prevent people, say, your average customer from going to South Omaha for, for various amount of reasons. Right. We didn't even have to get into it, but there are barriers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and but I did see and love the value and the experience that you get when you're there, and I kind of wanted to bridge the gap. So the idea was to kind of meet in the middle and take what they're doing, the authenticity, right, of what they're doing, and put it into a cool, hip, fun place, um, which creates an amenity for Omaha like a big city. You know, one of the best compliments we get all the time is that when I people tell me when I was at Mula, I felt like I was not in Omaha for an hour, and. That that's they they're getting it because that's the that's a whole intention of the experience is to kind of get you out of Omaha for a little bit where you feel like you're at that that's probably up for debate but um so bridging the gap trying to bring the authenticity the, the flavors the experience the words the all of the things that you would get from the more you know um ethnic part of the city but brought to a place that you'd actually want to come and hang out and vibe with so. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender. It was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. So like you mentioned earlier, you started running Maria's between 2008-2009. Yeah. Moolah opens in 2014. Yeah. I think it sounds like you'd had this concept mm-hmm. in your mind and you have been doing research for quite some time. Yeah. When did it start to be a real thing where like, I'm, I'm ready. Omaha is ready for this. Let's do it.
1: I was looking, I was looking for a location. Um, and again, it's like all these things kind of just came together and the, uh, the gentlemen that are responsible for developing all of Blackstone, most of Blackstone, I should say, um, or that have done the heavy lifting came into Maria's one day and said, Hey, we're looking to do this, uh, redevelopment project And on Farnham strip. And we really think that a Mexican restaurant would do well down there. We want you to come check it out. And um, of all the places I'd looked at that, the vision of what they wanted to do down there really spoke to me. And I felt like it was perfectly aligned with this brand I wanted to create. And I still think it's perfectly aligned for the, for the brand I created down there. So it just kind of all fell together, man. I don't know. I don't know how or why, but um, I'm thankful that it did.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are a lot of restaurateurs out there And you kind of talked about your process and how you're different, but I I still kind of want to get your thoughts on this. I think there are a lot of restaurateurs out there who would look at Maria's, especially the way that you revitalize it and say, I know this, this is a concept that works. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to open a second restaurant, let's just do that again. Mm -hmm. I know it works. Like Mm -hmm. Especially being in Ralston, you could say, hey, I could go drop this in West Omaha, which is a place where... You know, people probably aren't going to drive from there to Ralston a whole lot. I could just replicate this mm. somewhere else in another part of the city. But you didn't do that. You set out and you wanted to do a whole new venture. You kind of got into this a little bit, but go a little bit deeper.
1: Why was that? Well, we already have Maria's, right? And I, w- I wanted to create something that we didn't have. And also, Maria's means a lot to that community there. Yeah, um, And I didn't want to do anything that was going to jeopardize that. Uh, I do think that we could replicate that, but that's never that's never been an ambition. I, I've thought about it, but it's never been. I, I it, it's too meaningful for that community, for me to, um, you know, create another one that may potentially take away from what we have. That's very special there in Rawls, and I want it to remain there. But but this does segue into Taco Co, right? Because we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. I'll, I'll come revisit this idea when yes. we get to Taco Co. Uh, but you know, with Mula, it didn't exist, and to me that. I only want to do things that I'm super passionate about. And to me, um, making my family's restaurant thrive where it was, I was passionate about creating something new that provided an amenity to the Metro area that we didn't have. And, and to create an experience that I felt like people were craving was, was a passion play for me. Right. Just growing something for the sake of growing something, you know, and uh, that actually turns me off very much. Mm -hmm.
0: So you talked about how difficult it is to find that line between Americanized Mexican food and the, you know, the, the street food you're going to find yeah. in South Omaha, like to merge those two can be done mm-hmm. as Mula has shown, mm-hmm. but it's tough to do. It is. As you're conceptualizing the restaurant and starting to put the menu together, how, how did you walk that line?
1: A lot of customer feedback, a lot of keeping an eye on what people are appreciating and maybe not appreciating. Boy, we made a lot of changes from when we first opened till now, just based on keeping in mind that we're not the customer. Right. So I might like something and I might be, you know, very uh, excited about something and maybe even have a little bit of my ego wrapped into it because it's my idea only to find out that customers don't like it. Right. And I, and so you got to remove your ego from it and keep in mind, you're not your guest. So paying attention to what they like, paying attention to their preferences, we've made a ton of changes, man. I mean, especially with some of our more, you know, we're probably going to drop the tradition and authenticity word a lot, but some of the more traditional, like direct from Mexico dishes and ingredients haven't hit as hard as I thought they would, um, at times. So, that was kind of eye opening to me in terms of okay, I really do need to meet in the middle here because I'm not going to try to shove these things down people's throats. They don't like if they just want to, <laughs> you know, go down middle of the road. And our most popular item is a you know pretty basic taco. Then you know we're going to give them that. We're going to experiment on the periphery and we're going to try a lot of different things for the sake of our passion and fun and staying innovative. But not everything hits the way we think it we thought you know this is a really cool thing from no one's doing this in town and we drop in it it's like uh people aren't really identifying with that so uh, you know and that maybe that says something about the omaha market in general right the the average person maybe it doesn't i don't know but then you get customers that really do appreciate it but it's hard to keep something on the menu for a handful of customers when the majority of people maybe want something more down the middle of the road you know
0: mhm how as a restaurant owner do you Decide on that timeline of we're we're trying something new. This is something that I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. The customers aren't really taking to it. I know if they try it, if I can get them to come out of their box and try it, I think they're really going to like it. But they're not getting out of their bot. Like, how do you how do you know how long to hold on to something before you just say, you know, maybe this one isn't worth it?
1: It's a case by case basis, right? It, it's depend. It's risk reward. It depends how much you have at risk, right? Like some things we're able to create and we're just cross utilizing current products. That's very low risk for us. We could we can really try to push that one because what are we losing? We have all the products in house. Other things, if we're bringing in really high specialty items we may have a lower tolerance for how long we, you know, right. keeps it on the, on the menu if it's not selling. So honestly, man, it's a case-by-case basis. There's there's some quantitative things you do to measure, but there's some feel to it as well.
0: Now, something else that I think is very unique about Mulan that we should mention is that you are certified as a tequilaria. Am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, the best way I can explain that is there's a, a an organization that oversees the production of tequila Um, in Mexico to make sure it's adhering to all the standards uh, created to actually make it an Appalachian of Origin, right? So um, we flew right before we opened, we flew representatives from that organization up to Moolah and they stayed with us for about a week and did training. Um, they made sure all of our practices and standards were in line with they would, ex- uh, with their expectations and their criterias. And then actually there was a written test for my entire staff, which 80% had to p- of the staff had to pass to get this certification. So, oh, wow. um, it's, it's, um, it's not that we're certified as a tequila, but we got a distinct, a designation from the organization that oversees tequila. And to me, that was really important one from a training aspect, but two, we really wanted to stake our claim as the tequila place in town. And I think without knowing what you're talking about, it's hard to make that, that claim. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: So before we move on to taco company, just like kind of like you did with Maria's, can you, if somebody hasn't been to Moolah Mm -hmm. and they're, They're intrigued by the concept here. Can you kind of just tease out the concept a little bit more about maybe some specific menu items and how you think you walk that line between those two types of Mexican food that we were talking about?
1: Yeah. So the way we walk the line is this, we're, if you look at what's going on in South Omaha, we're not gonna, we're not gonna out South Omaha, South Omaha. Right. I mean, and that's not even the intention. The intention is to take cues from what they do and make it a little more approachable with, um, the kind of Westernized palette. Um, the experience at Moolah is going to be very hip, fun, energetic, Um, There's a warmth to that space with all of the different textures of the walls and the surfaces, the lighting, you know, some of those lights I had designed and imported from Mexico. Um, Everything kind of matches this old world feel. In fact, the name Mula is really a tip of the hat to the traditional way of taking the uh, chopped agave or cut agave hearts from the field to the factory to be cooked. They would strap them on the back of mules. Um, So... Really, there's a tip of the hat to the traditional way of doing things. And that's kind of the significance of the name. Um, And I think that comes through. I think everything kind of feels um, very warm. And uh, the music is just right, in my opinion. It's hip. It's cool. The people there, the staff um, is very friendly and young and hip and cool and knows way more slang than I do. And they teach me stuff all the time. Um, and it's in a really great part of town. I mean, if you're looking for a night out, I, I feel like Blackstone is the best pocket of town, um, in terms of food and entertainment that, that we have right now and continues to get better. It really does. And there's a lot of cool project projects that are still on the horizon. I think that it's, it's going to be the, um, kind of the premier part of town probably for another decade or so. Mm -hmm. And
0: when I talk to people about their favorite, happy hour restaurants in the city moolah is one that comes up very frequently a because of the drink menu like you mentioned and b just because that vibe it just feels feels alive in there you know that and you guys you've got the patio seating in in the summer you've kind of got the open windows there it's just it's a very cool place to just go hang out and have like you said maybe you know where you go to maria's you're leaving with a full belly like here. It's more like small bites. You can, mm-hmm. you can go a la carte if you want. You're not necessarily going to gorge yourself <laughs> Yeah, for lack of a better term, but like just, just a fun place to grab a bite and hang out. Like it's, yeah. it's just
1: cool. I have a, I was talking to a guy at the gym this morning, actually, that went to Mula for the first time. I met him three weeks ago and he's like, I'm going to try your restaurant. So he went, he went with his his uh, significant other and another couple, and he was like, Man, we ordered so much, we got to try like 20 different things. We uh-huh. sampled these salsas and these guacs, and, and I'm like, That you nailed it on the head. That's exactly the experience. It's not one platter of food that I only get this. It's like, I want you to have 30 flavors, right? I yes. want you to have this broad spectrum of experience, uh, and with the drinks too. You know, get a margarita flight, try a different, try some infused tequilos, and then speaking of happy hour. You know, on Happy Hour, we have some aggressive tequila pricing where everything's half off. And that's intentional because we want you, we don't want price to be a barrier for you to try all these tequilas. Come in, sample a very high end tequila for half off on Happy Hour or, you know, a wide variety of them and um, tell us what you think. Walk us through that process or we'll walk you through that process. Um, So, yeah, it is more, much more about trying a a bunch of different stuff as opposed to just, you know, the Maria's experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, back to the Maria's experience because that leads into Taco Company because Taco Company is all about the puffy taco. Basically, you took kind of the, I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but from an outside perspective, it seems like you took like the signature item at Maria's, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't want to replicate Maria's, but I want to bring this food item and celebrate it, but expose a different part of the city to it. In this case, that would be Benson. Was that kind of the thinking, or how how did the concept for Taco come up? Either you did up? your
1: homework, or you read my mind, because that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I bet a little bit of both, but a hundred percent. So earlier we talked about why not replicate Maria's, and I think I gave you kind of some of my my thought process on that. But this was the this is the more um, this was my approach. This is my way of taking our signature item and trying it and exactly what you said, introducing it to a whole new demographic and seeing if it can gain some traction, um, outside of Maria's because in my opinion, that product is so special. And, and honestly, man, I think it's special to Omaha. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like there's an argument to be made that that's like Omaha's taco, you know, that that's what represents you know, kind of our signature thing here, every, maybe a lot of cities have their different things. Like we talked about with barbecue or whatever the case may be. Um, but like, I look at that puffy shell as like a runza, you know, it's, it's a very unique thing. And, um, so I just wanted to see, I love the product and obviously, um, but I just wanted to see if it was as awesome as I thought it, you know, as I think it is and try it. And boy, the, I think the response is speaking, has spoken for itself. People, people love it. So just trying to figure out where to take it from here. You know, because there's a lot of different ways. And do you you take the same approach and say, no, we're just going to leave it special and it's going to be a Benson thing? Or do you say, no, this taco's got some legs. Let's try to, you know, bring it to four corners of the planet. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I I live right near Benson, (laughs) so I have access to Taco Company frequently. So I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. But then again, I always hear, like, you know, people always say to, like, you know, to the owners of Block 16, they're like, "What are you going to open a location in West yeah. Omaha? Stuff like that. And yeah. it's like, well, it's it's not quite that easy. And what do they say? Uh, they say it's not that easy. <laughs> like, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things to consider. Yeah. Between they have to split their time between restaurants. They wouldn't be together as much. Mm-hmm. They have a family, as you said, you do too. So that's yeah. obviously something you have to consider. But I do think, you know, the, the Puffy Taco is... It's such a unique concept. And it's not like really anything else like you can get many different kinds of street tacos or or different tacos to Omaha but that thing especially with that recipe that you mentioned that is not super greasy or Mm -hmm. anything it is very unique did Benson like did it when you launched the concept did Benson take to it like right off the bat or was there a little bit of curiosity in that what is, what is this thing
1: well so i've been i looked at a lot of different locations for taco co that's a concept that i had um for a while and it just for one reason or another all the other locations just didn't work out probably um fortuitously for me um but that again, that building just spoke to me in so many ways. I just an I, old bank, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of old things. If you've been to the restrooms at all, you see that we took the old vault and made them into the right. It's cool, it's super cool. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. And I don't know how you you know connect the two logically, a bank and a taco plate, but somehow <laughs> it just adds a, another layer of, of uh, something cool to experience. But here, here's maybe I'll maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna overshare a little bit. But here's Dan, if you and I. You came to me and said, Michael, you know, you, you have the Midas touch when it comes to tacos. I need, I want to get in the taco business. Let, let's do something together, right? We could call a food service provider, right? XYZ Food Company, right? And we could set up in, in one of their test kitchens, we can have them bring us all the samples of their tortillas, all the samples of different, we'll call it, ready-made meats, which, um, you know, we don't, we don't sell any of those at our restaurants, but they exist out there, right? For people that don't know how to cook or season meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can have them do a lot of the heavy lifting as far as getting sauces together, how to make right. We could literally walk out of that test kitchen in a couple of days and have a concept for a Mexican restaurant, right? All we need is a catchy name and a cool location. Boom, we're off to the races. You can't do that with these puffy tacos. You can't go and ask your food service provider to, to sell you the dough or sell you the process. It doesn't exist. So from a competitive advantage standpoint, I think, it, it um, offers something very interesting and unique and when you're talking about growing a business because again there are very low barriers of entry to starting a Mexican restaurant for anybody off the streets that wants to do it i wouldn't advise it but you can do it um, you can't get in the puffy taco game unless you you know you know how to do it specifically either you've worked for me or you know you somehow came across a, a process somewhere else and and you're willing to go all in and go head to head with Taco Co Maria's in the puffy taco game good luck.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I'm I'm obviously not a business person. I don't have any idea, but I I think that the concept is one that would work maybe not in every part of the city, but I think in, in a lot of parts. And I think part of that is, and you, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Moolah, but it's, it's at taco company too. It's not just the food Mm. that brings people in. Like dining at taco company is fun. You guys have, (laughs) Uh, the benches that are swings Mm. in there you've got the adult like capri sun pouches you know that have some uh have some tequila and some liquor in there you've got the the patio that's got uh you know you can go up there and play bags and stuff like it's fun not to only come and eat there but it's fun to just be there how obviously that's something that's very important to you as you design restaurants. Is that something that you just knew right away, or did you have to kind of learn that as you established Maria's once again?
1: Um, Well, everything has to match. Um, And just understanding that is an, is an important first step, right? The colors you choose have to match the things on your menu, have to match what your employees wear, have to match the music, have to match the lighting, have to, everything has to be congruent for the brand to be cohesive and make sense for taco co you know, that was a product that my grandmother started. If you notice in Maria's, I'm sorry, at Taco Co, I have a massive mural of my grandmother. She's 15 years old in this picture that I took from a scrapbook that we had and I blew it up and had it retouched because I'm, I'm paying respect to my grandmother with that business. So if you notice everything in there, if you were, if, if Taco Co was a person, it would be a cool, fun, loving, energetic woman. And that's, that's the palette right? It's soft. There's pillows on the benches, right? There's not say graffiti, like you're used to seeing in, in a lot of And right? There's everything is soft fabric. Everything is, uh, more feminine kind of, and that, and that's not to say we're alienating men because I don't think it's over the top, right? Where it's only target. It, it's very inviting for everyone. But to me, that palette, um, was the brand and the identity that we wanted, which was fun, energetic, um, And honestly, there's a simplicity to it when you're when you're focused on one core product and then some fun drinks and some appetizers that support it. um, You know, it's there's just a a simplicity where you get it when you walk in. Like, "Ah, I get it. This is a fun, cool place with a really awesome taco, and there's not too much thinking involved, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what you're getting. So
0: that and and that's something that I absolutely love about Taco Co. Is you guys didn't go crazy with the menu and go in a bunch of different directions. It is. Puffy tacos, I think there's six or seven versions now with different Mm -hmm. meats. And and those have expanded slightly over time, but it's nothing nothing crazy. There's Mm -hmm. a couple monthly specials that you have. I think you can get like a taco bowl now, and then you can get like chips and guac, Mm -hmm. chips and queso, stuff like that. It is very simple. How did you resist the temptation to kind of blow that menu up because your other restaurants have a lot more things on the menu and, yeah. and there, there is value in that. Like people enjoy big menus and having lots of options. How, how did you keep the mindset that we need to keep the focus on the puffy taco and keep this menu just real concise and r- really on exactly what it is?
1: Honestly, that, that was a, the biggest challenge that we had um, that I had facing me, which was where do we draw the line? And at the end of the day, Um, the reason why it's called the taco company is because we wanted honestly we just wanted to put that product in as the star of the show period we we didn't want to be everything to everyone and there would be no way for us to tell how successful we were if we had this huge elaborate menu you know there would be no way for us to tell how um the demand for the puffy taco if we had the puffy taco and 12 other products to support it. The whole idea was to take something we thought was really special, put it into a special place, have some supporting products around it um, that, that were in line again with the, with the quality of the the puffy taco experience. But really I think it was kind of a, it was pretty risky decision, but again, I think people appreciate not having to put a lot of thought. If you want a puffy taco, Then come here, then go there. Mm -hmm. If you don't, that's okay. Go somewhere else and enjoy some, but you know, if you want this, the, the best, you know, the best puffy taco you can experience, you come here, period. Um, so, and you know what, a lot of people come there for a happy hour too. It's a cool happy hour. We find lots of groups coming in and having margaritas and queso and all that stuff too. But, um, yeah, it's a risk. And of course we still try to resist the idea of adding more products because in our mind it's like, well, shoot, let's give some people some other reasons to come back. Right. Um, but I don't think we'll ever expand beyond, we might expand the type of puffy tacos we have. Like you said, we've, I think we've doubled since we've opened. I think we started with four and now we're seven or eight. I'm not sure. Maybe Uh, Six or seven, I don't know, but either way, we might continue to add. um, And the way we do that is typically we'll roll out like a taco of the month and see if people gravitate to it. If if they do, then we'll we'll throw it on the menu. If not, um, then we get rid of it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's risky, right? Uh, It feels risky when you're putting all your eggs in one basket. But I, I, again, I I think when you have something, you'd be different if it was just tacos, right? And, And you can get, boy, you have to drive by like 12 taco places to get to taco company. And it's not only taco places anymore because every restaurant now has tacos, right? (laughs) Pizza places have tacos for brunch and it's like everywhere has tacos. So it's not just, you know, Mexican places that we're competing with. We're competing for, you know, stomach share of, um, with, with darn near everybody in the city at this point, because if you look across menus, there's freaking tacos and burritos on everything. So
0: but no one has that specific exactly. puffy taco. Exactly. And I think that's that's kind of the beauty of it for for me individually as a diner, I constantly have ordering FOMO. Like if I <laughs> if I go to a restaurant and I I order a dish and even if I love it, I'm like, but man, what if I would have gotten the pasta? What if I would have gotten yeah. the, you know, this cut of steak instead of that one, something like that. But when I go to, Mar- or excuse me, not Maria's, when I go to Taco Co., I, I'm going there specifically because I know this puffy taco. I love this puffy taco. And I'm going there specifically for that thing. I know exactly what to expect. And I do think that there's value in that. I totally um, acknowledge the risk factor mm-hmm. that you say, but mm-hmm. I think Taco Company has become a success because when people walk in that door, they know exactly what they're getting. And there's, there's an appreciation in that. Um,
1: I agree. And we're very consistent. I mean, if you have a taco on, I mean, it it should be the same product a hundred percent of the time. And I think that's another thing is you gain customer trust when you're executing the same thing repeatedly over and over with the same consistency. So Mm -hmm. that's a big key to our success as well.
0: What has it been like for you to be with these two restaurants to be, like, such a critical part of revitalizing two distinct districts in Omaha. Like, Blackstone five years ago, or six six years ago, maybe a little further back, but, like, when Blackstone was first being developed, it was nothing. Yes, Five, six years ago, Benson was completely different Mm -hmm. than it is now. And I think your restaurants have both played a unique part of revitalizing those areas and kind of making them fun and alive again. What... What does that mean to you?
1: Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think I feel a lot more... Um, I feel like I, get a, I can get a little more credit for Blackstone just because we were literally at the ground level of that redevelopment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. One of the first people to sign a lease and be open um, when all of that started to go down. But um, it feels incredible. I, I feel very fortunate because it could have very easily not worked out the way it did. So I feel very blessed in a lot of ways. Uh, with Benson, you know, I don't. I definitely don't want to claim that I was in. You know the. You weren't on the ground, ground floor. Yeah, you know, I kind of. Maybe I'm part of Benson 2.0. I hope there's a lot more people that come because uh, I would love to see more places come into Benson. I think Benson is a very. It's an amazing, unique neighborhood that uh, I wish. Again, I wish there were more people in my shoes that would come there and make something happen because I think there's a lot of potential there. But I think what we've added to Benson maybe is is we've brought in people that you weren't your typical Benson customers, because when you walk into taco company on a Tuesday or a Thursday, um, you know, or any day of the week, what I see is people that maybe, you know, aren't your typical Benson, you know, uh, whatever that means. Clientele. Yeah. But I, I see a lot of people that are coming into Benson because they want to try taco company. And then afterwards they're going to appreciate the other you know, they're going into the other bars and the other places that there are to visit in Benson. So if anything, if I've if we've added any value, I think it's maybe we're bringing in a different clientele. We're tapping into a different market and giving them some more exposure to Benson than they would have had otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, clearly you are a guy who is very entrepreneurial in spirit. You are very forward thinking as you and you don't have to give anything yeah, away here. Yeah. But as you look at kind of the omaha restaurant scene and probably specifically speaking in mexican food do you see any opportunities in the future and i I, full disclosure i don't know (laughs) if you have anything in the works i definitely don't want you to like give away any plans you have so somebody listening to this can steal it but like is there anything that you can speak on as far as future endeavors or anything that you're interested in
1: always man Uh, i'm always entertaining uh and looking and being creative. That's a fun thing for me to do in terms of just an exercise of creativity. What would I do now? What I have probably six or seven concepts ready to roll that are, you know, either Mexican or non-Mexican. For me, like I explained, I I don't, the idea of growing for the sake of growing um, is a big turnoff for me. So for me, when the time is right and the opportunity is right and, and the property is right and, you know, everything comes together, and I feel passionate about it, then then I'll do it. But if it doesn't meet, if it doesn't check all my boxes, there's a 0% chance. And we get offers, I get offers all the time to help, you know, for, I mean, there's no there's no uh, lack of available real estate in the city. Let's put it that way, right? So uh, always having conversations with brokers. Um, of course, um, again, creating my own concepts as I travel, as I look out to what's happening throughout the rest of the country and the world, getting inspired by um, potentially some things that might work here in Omaha. Now, everything that you see out in the world, it probably isn't going to work in Omaha for a lot of reasons, right? Because we kind of have a different appetite for things, but, um, that's the cool part is, okay, how can I make this something that Omaha will gravitate to? Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I'm always very interested in growing. I also, um, not to get into I know this is restaurant and bar focus so but I also have other interests outside right I'm not just a one trick pony so you know I have kids and I have other investments that but if specifically talking about restaurants and bars I'm I'm always interested it's very exciting to me to think about what could happen and for sure I do see me and my team doing you know other fun and exciting things on the level if not surpassing the level of, of creativity um, and energy than the things we've already done so
0: well, I, for one, cannot wait to see what that future looks like and, and seeing some of these other concepts, if they get the opportunity, get a chance to come to light. I think that's that's just going to be really fun to follow. As we wind down here, this has been a fantastic conversation, but I got to ask you two more questions yeah. that I like to ask just about every guest that comes on here. First one, what is one thing that you feel most people who don't work in the restaurant industry, what is one thing that you that they don't know that you wish they knew.
1: Hmm. I think that people fail to realize that there's real humans behind these restaurants. I think that it's very easy to write off a brand, write off a restaurant, write off an experience as just a company but you don't realize that there's people that are there that are, um, using their wages to feed their children. They're using the wages to put themselves through school. There's real human experiences that are building, you know, that are, that are making up the DNA of these businesses. But when you, when you, you know, write something off to just XYZ brand restaurant, right. Um, you fail to appreciate the, um, the real human, um, aspect aspect of, of what goes into these things, you know? Um, right. It's easy to try to trash a business because maybe your food wasn't the temperature you wanted, but how is that affecting the woman, the single mom there who's in the kitchen working for X dollars an hour that depends on that job. And maybe you're affecting the business that comes to the door. Now, of course the restaurant has an obligation to give you a better experience, but at the same time, you know, I think we really failed to realize that there's humans behind this thing. It's not just a machine and a brand, right? That would be one of the biggest things
0: just to, to echo off that point, I actually went and got brunch, uh, the other day and kind of, it wasn't, it was on a Monday. So like, you know, not typical brunch day, but like I was there with my wife and I realized service was taking a little bit longer than usual. We, we waited about 35 minutes for our food. And part of me, you know, I'm I'm a very patient person, but part of me was kind of like, man, what's going on? And I looked around and I realized There was one woman who was working the entire floor that day. She was bussing tables. She was taking orders. She was refilling coffee. She was taking plates from the kitchen and delivering them to tables. And I think that just having that awareness and that recognition as diners that, hey, restaurants, these people, not even restaurants, these individual people are trying to give us the best experience they can and they're they're working at it. I think if we have that understanding and that compassion – that goes a long way towards achieving what you just said. Yeah. And then to get you out of here on a positive note, what is your favorite part about being a part of the restaurant industry?
1: The connections you make with people. Uh, I've met so many fascinating people in my life. It's just where, where else, what other life could I create for myself where I would meet, you know, a thousand different strangers a week, (laughs) you know, it's just such a unique life. And I'm so appreciative of, Being able to have that experience and um, the people that have that have come in and out of my life over the years as a result of me being in this industry uh, have been a tremendous blessing. and, And, you know, I feel like I've added value to them. They've added value to me. But just I love the people making the connections, doing something that they identify with, doing, you know, creating an experience, even if it's only for 30 minutes or an hour that they actually connect with that is, uh, you know, that's really, really, really special. So uh, the people, the people make it all and even the employees, you know, over the years, gosh, a lot of these people have become my family. So people, it's all about people, both on, on all sides of the equation here. So.
0: Well, that is a beautiful way to wrap this conversation up. I've enjoyed every second of it, Michael. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast today. And I would just encourage anyone listening to this, if you want, you know, that, that big, that big Mexican platter with enchiladas and the rice and beans. Get out to Ralston. Get to Maria's. Check it out. If you want kind of the more modern experience, go to Blackstone. Get some tequila. Go for happy hour at Mula. And if you want those puffy tacos, I, like I fully sign off on those things. I'm a puffy taco addict. Get to Taco Company. These are three awesome restaurants, all very distinct and unique, both in personality and in cuisine. I need to stop talking and let you go. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Dan, I one, I appreciate all the kind words. It really means a lot. Um, and also, I appreciate the fact that you've um, done so much homework. You know what you're talking about. You brought me in, but you you had a perspective and you came from a place of knowledge. And I appreciate this conversation. It's great to meet you.
0: Oh, wow. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that very much. All right, well, let's just end this thing with thanks all around. (laughs) Oma, as always, thanks for eating with us.
1: Ahudat Media Production.